Well, good morning. So, you know, the world says if it feels good, you should do it. The world says you've got to get yours. The world says greed is good and that biology and gender have nothing to do with each other. The world says whoever you love and really whoever you're physically attracted to, that is your defining identity. The world says marriage is expendable. The world says you should save the whales but kill the children. The world says um, marriage is expendable. The world says cohabitation and premarital is just to be expected. It's not that big a deal. The world says a lot of things. And a lot of things directly contrary to what God says. And so, whose eyes are we going to view the world through? Whose wisdom are we going to live with? Are we going to live by what the world says and watch it and laugh at it? Are we going to live by what God says? Are we going to see from God's perspective? And that's what James is going to challenge us to. He's going to challenge us to that in the church. He's going to challenge us to that in our homes. He's going to challenge us to that in our workplaces. He's going to challenge us to that in our relationship circles, wherever they might be. There's two kinds of wisdom. Which wisdom are we going to follow? All right, so we'll be in James chapter 3 today. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Um, But we're working our way through James. And in James, we've said the main theme is the gospel leads us to not just hear the word, but to actually do something about it. The gospel leads us to not just hear the word, but to do something about it. And so I hope that you, like me, have been challenged to not just add a set of facts to your theological library, to add a set set of word studies and a set of concepts and a set of outlines that you can stick in a notebook and, and that you haven't felt any need to apply. Or maybe you've been able to say, look, man, look at those bad people out there or those Methodists, and you've been able to avoid looking at yourself, or that I've been able to avoid looking at myself. I hope that throughout the book of James, we've been challenged to look at us, and we've been challenged to do something about what we're hearing. And so, uh, for the past couple of times we were together, uh, we talked about the, the connection between faith and works, that genuine saving faith produces a love for Jesus, and a love for Jesus always produces an obedience. If we love him, we will keep his commandments, right? The obedience is an expression of our love for Jesus. And one of the primary works, which was the last time uh, we were together, one of the primary works of your life and of my life is the work of our words. And we're saying there is nowhere more desperately that we need the gospel to own us than when it comes to our heart and the words it produces, Right? Words so easily burn stuff up. Words so easily start fires in relationships. Words so easily hurt, intentionally and unintentionally. Words so easily blow up the peace of our lives and the peace of our relationships. And we so desperately need the gospel because as the gospel matures us, we're able to edit our words so that not all those words that used to come out still come out. And he, he stops it, um, uh, wrote a verse for myself and for the family and stuck it on, our, on, our, uh, on the water kitchen, right? Set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, do not let my heart incline to any evil, because Chris sins with his words way too much. Words are our primary works, and so we want the gospel to edit, to shrink some of the words we say so that we don't say them, but that's not the stopping point. 
We want the gospel to actually rewrite the words that come out so that Jesus' words come out the first time and not the after we've already made the mess. Right? And so words are our primary words. The tongue is this little bitty thing that has this really big impact, and too, too often that impact is destructive. And the only thing that can tame it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we have works, we have the work of words, and then today we have the wisdom that lies behind all of that. The wisdom, the maturity, the understanding that is going to govern our hearts and our lives so that our words and our works come out in a way that is governed by the gospel. Um, and so James is going to address a group of people that, all right, we have wisdom. You know, we have understanding. And he's going to address a group of people and he's say, let's put that to the test. But he's not going to test it the way you want him to. Because you want him to test it by, you know, I've been in church a few years. You want him to test it by, I've been a Christian a while. I want him to test it by my theological knowledge. And that's not how James tests the reality of our professions. He's going to test it like he's tested everything else. He's going to test it by the character it produces in our lives and by the humility that's expressed with our lives. He's going to put our claim to wisdom to the test uh, throughout this passage. And so our words and our works are governed by our wisdom but our words and our works also are going to put on display our wisdom. What kind of wisdom really is at the root of our lives? And that's the test he's going, to, he's going to put on us. And so as we look at our lives, what is the root of the works and the words that come out of our lives? What's at the core of us? What's the wisdom? What's the perspective at the core of us? So let's read James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18 and dive in. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show the works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, and it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure. And then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that we would sow peace with our words and peace with our works so that righteousness is the fruit of our lives. I pray that our wisdom would be your wisdom so that it brings unity and not disunity. I pray that your wisdom would be our wisdom so that our families get put back together. I pray that your wisdom would be our wisdom so that our relationships are reconciled and at peace. I pray that your wisdom would be our wisdom so that we don't view it the way the world views it, but we view it in a way that's pure and right and good. Father, I pray that your wisdom would be our wisdom and that uh, as we see our lives and we see our hearts and we see our relationships and we see our words, God, that it would be from your eyes that it would conform with your son the way we act it out, the way we live it. And so, Father, help us. Set us free from self. Set us free from hurt and bitterness and anger and jealousy. Set us free to be people of purity and peace, to be people who love peace. Father, help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So godly wisdom is shown by righteous results. Godly wisdom is shown by righteous 
results. And I will try to speak loud because I know y'all are up all night watching the Braves. And the church comes really early. And you're the faithful ones. You got out of bed anyways after staying up to what? Midnight? Twelve? I didn't stay up and watch the end. But it, I hear the result was pretty good. Unless you are from a different state out west. Uh, and so I'll try to talk loud. And I'll try to, you know, clap with my hands every once in a while so you guys are awake. But if you will do your best to stay with me, I'll do my best to try to keep you with me. How's that? Is that a deal? Uh, so godly wisdom is shown, is shown by righteous results. The first step, wisdom is tested by our conduct and our humility. Wisdom is tested by our conduct and our humility. And so what is wisdom, I thought, was the first question we should, we should answer. And, um, you know, the world's definition, or, or uh, say, a secular definition, uh, is the proper application of knowledge. So wisdom isn't knowing stuff. Wisdom is being able to do something right with the stuff you know, properly applying the stuff you know. And, you know, that's good, but it's really limited. Because you're knowing in God's world, and you're applying in God's world. And so any definition of how to do things right in a world without the reference of God who made the world, who is over the world, whose world it is, is going to be severely limited. And so uh, here would be my rough stab at some definitions for, for, for wisdom for us. And so the art, of, art and skill of doing life God's way. Is one way I would look at it, the art and the skill of doing life God's way. There is a skill set to it where you, you have some things that you walk out and principles to apply, but there's also an art to it because there's a really broken, fallen, gray world and a very right and true God, and sometimes we just don't know how to navigate that, and wisdom is how to navigate that. Um, another way I would apply it is, is this. It is the ability to view and do life from God's perspective. <clears throat> the ability to view life from God's perspective, your circumstances, your decisions, your choices, the, the, the wrestlings, the grays, the whatever you're facing, to view it God's way, but not just view it God's way, to actually then live out, to do, to respond, to decide as God would do and respond. And so it's to view and to do life God's way. And so that's a couple of stabs at definitions that I would give you. Um, it involves at least three uh, components. There is knowledge, right? There's the raw material that we are making decisions off of. There's the raw material of how to navigate things, and then discernment, right? Um, the, the ability to pull out and understand the real circumstances, the ability to pull out and, and see the different options, the ability to pull out and discern the situations and the relationships that we're a part of. And then there's obedience, the doing of the thing. And so wisdom is never purely intellectual in the Bible. Wisdom is always applicational in the Bible. And so read the book of Proverbs, a book about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and you'll find it's a book about how to live life, what you should do, how you should respond. And that's exactly what wisdom is to James. It is Viewing and doing life God's way. It's, it's knowing stuff and then being able to discern and bring together all the things that are part of the situation and then to do the wise thing, the right thing, the God thing in any given situation. And so wisdom is tested by our conduct and our humility. And so as James usually does, he, he gives us a, an introduction of like, here's the topic. And he's going to do that. He's going to give us, here's the topic. The topic is wisdom, and the topic is there are people who claim to have it, and if they claim to have it, what I want to do is test it to see if they really do have it, and he's going to test it by their good conduct, 
their character, and he's going to test it by their humility. And if either of those things are missing, then the claim to wisdom and maturity and insight is not a true claim. Then he's going to go to and he's going to break down two different kinds of wisdom. There's an earthbound wisdom, and how do we know it's earthbound? Because it fills hearts that are bitter and hearts that are selfish and hearts that are jealous and hearts that are bent on self-promotion and having their way and having their agenda, and it results in justifying any kind of sin that needs to be justified. That's earthly wisdom. And then there's a heavenly wisdom. And there's a heavenly wisdom that's marked by purity and it's marked by peace. And you know what the end result of heavenly wisdom is? Righteousness. And so the way we're able to tell what the source of our wisdom is is we start with the fruit of our lives. And do we see righteousness there and peace there and purity there and getting along with others to the degree we can there? Well, then we can start walking that up. This looks a lot more like heavenly wisdom than not. Or do we see... I'm able to justify living in apathy to God because, you know, you're probably not living in rampant sin. If you are, I hope that's very obvious to you and you're convicted of that and, and, and that the word is able to confront you and you're able to repent. But most of us, like, we live in these acceptable sins. And so uh, are, are we tracing these acceptable sins? And I'm just going to kind of do life my way and I'm good enough and I go to church so everything's fine. But that works its way up and that looks a lot less like God's wisdom than the other. And that's going to be James's point. So look at it. The claim. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? So there's a group of people claiming, I'm wise. I'm wise in the church. You should listen to me. I'm wise in the home. You should listen to me. I'm wise in the workplace. I'm wise in, in you know, governing a little HOA mini kingdom so that I have power over all you people. I'm wise. I have understanding. I know the way. And James is going to say, all right, well, let's test that. And let me tell you this. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus who is humble and you're growing and you're trying, to, you're trying to learn the word and study the word and apply the word and you're trying to hear from other people and good, get good counsel and you're trying to be a help and a, a resource and an aid to the people around you so that they're able to be increased and, and you receive correction and you receive wisdom but you also give it out, that is such a gift to the church. If this, if this statement is true, I, I'm growing in wisdom and I want to use that to help people and people are growing in wisdom and they want to use it to help me, that is an amazing gift to the church, to the home, to every circle of relationship. But if it's not true, the hardest people on earth to live with are the people that know it all. That have everything figured out. They know all the answers. They know all the right way. The hardest people on earth to live with are the people who say they're wise, but they're not. They say they're wise, but they don't need people's input. They say they're wise, but they know everything. They say they're wise, but they don't have any place for input, any place for correction, any place for change, any place for repentance. But they have it all figured out, and they just are waiting to tell you how you should do things. Very few things are as messy and hard to deal with as people like that, right? We have to fight being like that. And so that not wisdom. So what is the test? What is the test of this claim to be wise, mature, and understanding? Oh, I wish it was my theological knowledge. I have read entire systematic theology books. It would be wonderful if I could answer that question with what I know. We want to answer that question with years of Christian service, years of being a Christian, or years of being in a church. I'm wise in understanding I've been here for 10 years. I've been here for 30 years. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a pastor for 15 years. I'm wise. I'm understanding. Oh, if we could just answer it that way, but that's not how we answer it, is it? 
What is the test from James? That you have a lifestyle of little works that have added up to this character called good conduct. Now, good conduct is one of Peter's favorite terms for Christ, the Christian lifestyle. Right? That your good conduct, they'll see uh, your good conduct and they'll glorify your Father in heaven on the day of visitation. And so that's what James is referring to. You see that all these works that let him show by his good conduct to show his works. And so there's this set of little faithfulnesses, this set of little um, walking with God, this set of little um, obedience and service and life, and they accumulate into this thing called what? Good conduct. A character that honors Christ. How do we know if we're wise? Our character is increasingly, um, has integrity in the little things of life and the big things of life. Our character is increasingly marked by good conduct. And so we can't say we're wise if our lifestyle is not a lifestyle of integrity, a lifestyle of faithfulness, a lifestyle of doing the right things in the hidden moments and in the seen moments. So how will we know? Let him show his wisdom by his good conduct. Let him show his wisdom by making the right choices. Let him show his wisdom by his obedience in the little areas where nobody's paying attention. Let him show his obedience in the areas that nobody else thinks are areas worth caring about. That's how we'll know it's wisdom. That's how we'll know we're maturing. But it would be easy for us to measure and say, well, I'm doing the right things and I'm serving and I'm, I've got my name on the church and I teach and I, I do stuff. It'd be so easy to stop there because I think he's talking about the little moments, mundane moments of real life, not just the church times of life that build up into a character. But he didn't stop there, does he? The meekness of wisdom. What is the second balancing portion of how we test our wisdom? Humility. Now, humility, one person has said that it's not thinking less of yourself, I'm pitiful, I'm nothing. It is thinking of yourself less, that you're not the dominant theme of your life. And so the way I, the way I picture it, and I think we, we did this, I don't know, in Daniel or something, is like if you were to look at your life like it was a portrait, who is central in the portrait of your life? Is it you? And God's kind of there in the background on the fringes and other people are there, but they're on the background and the fringes. But you're central. Your face is the big face. Well, we call that pride. Pride is where I'm the main focus. I'm the most important. What I want, what I need. And, and if you help me get it, we can get along really well. But if you get in the way of it, then you become an obstacle to remove or to go around. That's pride. But what is humility? When God is in the forefront, when God is central, when God's picture is the biggest picture, and then other people fill in behind God, uh, behind that, and then I'm on the fringes. That's this thing called humility. It's not that I don't exist and I'm not important. It's that I'm less important than God. God is the lens I view things through. So humility, and here's the thing about wisdom. Wisdom is always humble. The wisest people on earth are humble people. You know why? Because the wisest people on earth have a greater understanding of their God. And it's really hard to think you're really great if you know God well. It is really hard to think highly of yourself when you see the perfections and majesty of God. 
It is really hard to think highly of yourself when you see blazing holiness, a consuming fire, a jealous God, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a jealous God, a God who is severe and a God who is good, a God who is majestic and a God who is holy, a God who if you were to look at him in the Old Testament, it says you would die on the spot and think, man, I'm really doing great and I'm a good person and I really should be forefront. Like humility knows God well enough to not, I mean, wisdom knows God well enough to be humble because you just can't be proud. But you know what else, why wisdom is humble? Because wise people know enough to massively distrust their own hearts. Wise people know way too much to think their hearts are good, their hearts are right, their hearts can be trusted. And so wisdom is always Humble, we know our God too well when we're wise. Wisdom is always humble. We know our hearts too well to be wise. And so you know what the proverb says? It says in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. Wise people know they need other people's input to do life. Wise people know they need community. There's too many blind spots. Wise people know they need input because there's other ways of viewing things. And so in the multitude of counselors, wise people are safe. It doesn't mean we accept and do everything people advise us to do, but it means we seek out their advice and we seek out their understanding. You know what Proverbs also says? Those who walk with the wise will, still be, will be still wiser. And so if I want to be a wise person... I'm going to be a person in community with others. If I want to be a wise person, I'm going to surround myself with some people who are seeking the wisdom of God, who are giving me the wisdom of God. It's, it's going to be something I receive from other people as well as something I give to other people because I think that's the problem or one of the problems is if we've been in church long enough and maybe we've taught or maybe we've matured to a certain point where we feel like I just give wisdom to people. But the problem is we've stopped receiving wisdom from people, which means we've stopped growing. We've stopped being as mature as we think we are because everything's a one-way street now. Wisdom walks with the wise and receives from the wise. Wisdom seeks counsel and, and you know, accommodates that counsel into their, into their lives. By your conduct and by your wisdom. Let me ask you a few questions um, as, as we transition from this point. Do I seek godly counsel or do I shun it? Do I seek godly counsel or do I shun counsel? Am I faithful in the little ways that nobody sees? Or am I only faithful when everybody's watching? All right. Am I faithful in the little ways or am I faithful just in front of people? A third one. Do I receive correction or do I get defensive? Do I receive correction or do I get defensive? Am I willing to see and at times adjust to other people's ideas? Am I willing to uh, adjust to other people's ideas at times? And so you might want to think about, when was the last time I had an idea, I got counsel, and my idea expanded and adjusted in light of the advice I got, as opposed to like, no, I just reconfirmed what I wanted to do anyways. Or, uh, I don't agree with that, so I'm going to just do what I want anyways. And it doesn't mean, again, that you do everything people advise, but it does mean you seek that wisdom and at times adjust. And then lastly, do I take my private character seriously? Do I take my private character seriously? Because wisdom isn't, isn't marked by what you know, and wisdom isn't marked by your years of service. Wisdom is marked by your character 
Wisdom is marked by her humility. And that kind of stuff happens in community. It doesn't happen in isolation. And so wisdom is tested by our conduct and humility. Secondly, earthly wisdom is fueled by selfishness and results in all types of sin. Earthly wisdom is fueled by selfishness and results in all types of sin. And so one of the philosophies that runs rampant around, and I I hear it some, YOLO. You only live once. Which means you should get all the pleasure you can, all the stuff you can, all the experiences you can. That Because you're young, you're only young once, and you should do everything while you're young. And because you only live once, you should pursue everything you can possibly pursue. And you should be happy, and everything should make you happy. And you should do everything that's enjoyable. You only live once, after all. And I would say, yes, you only live once. And there's a big old eternity at the end. YOLO is a great philosophy to live by if God is in reference. Because you're going to waste your pitiful little life expending it on your pleasures or you're going to invest your life in something that lasts forever, in people that last forever, in a life that is built for the glory of God, in a life that is built to make a difference in other people's lives or consume it on your own pleasures. Which one sounds like wisdom? You're going to get old, wrinkled, and full of regret and waste your life away until one day you realize, oh, there was a God, there was a kingdom, there was an eternity. And I pray that's before it's too late. Because when you step out of this life, it's too late. The night comes where no one can work. Your life will come to an end and your works will forever be done. Do you want to stand before God and say, YOLO, I enjoyed every bit of it, sinfully and selfishly? Or do you want to say, YOLO, God, I gave you everything I had because this is what mattered? See, there's a kind of wisdom. Just think of it in the secular sense. There's a kind of wisdom that says, a year and a half ago, if you were a nurse, a doctor, a fireman, a policeman, who was on the front lines of the pandemic, and you went and and mouth-to-mouth resuscitated people with diseases, you had no clue what was going on, and this pandemic is rolling over the the top of the country, and you had no clue what's going on, but you showed up to work, and you did it anyways, and exposed yourself to all this. You're a hero. We have signs. They're faded now, aren't they? But there's a sign in front of every business that was essential workers. We're heroes. And there's a kind of wisdom that says today, after you've faced all that, if you don't get a vaccine, you're fired. And there's a wisdom that that, that makes sense to some people where they cheer for that. Or if you wanted to take it, there's a kind of wisdom that says if parents protest masks on their kids or what their kids learn in school, or, or if, if they dare question the, the wisdom of mixed-youth bathrooms based on gender identities, then they're terrorists. And there's a kind of wisdom that that makes sense to somebody to say those words out loud. But that's easy. That's out there. What about in here? There's a kind of wisdom that says... That if you view gender and biology as attached to each other, you are evil and you're hateful. There's a kind of wisdom that says if, if you view sexuality not as an identity but as defined by God and made for male and female, you're hateful, you're evil, you should be canceled. And there's a kind of wisdom that says that. There's a kind of wisdom that says we should put people in jail if they break a bald eagle's egg. But we should celebrate 
if it's a life in the womb that's ended. There's a kind of wisdom that makes that stuff make sense, but it doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense. If you're in college, listen for a second. There's a kind of wisdom that says that you and another guy, or a guy and a girl, or a boyfriend and a girlfriend can take weekend trips and stay in the same hotel room, and that somehow it's going to work out really well for you. We're just sharing costs. There's a kind of wisdom that says that. There's a kind of wisdom that says relationships, physical relationships before marriage is just to be expected, and you might as well do it because, you know, you're going to have this whole marriage thing. You've got you to make sure it works. Or that you should live together before marriage. And there's a kind of wisdom that we've bought into that we stream hour after hour on Netflix and we cheer, celebrate, laugh, and cry with people in totally bankrupt immorality. Because it excuses some of the things we want to do anyways. And there's a kind of wisdom that makes all this make sense. And then there's a kind of wisdom that says we're good people with good lives. But there's no reference to God at all. But we're good people and we're good neighbors. And we may even be good at coming to church. But there's no reference to God in the day in and day out of our lives. And there's a kind of wisdom that says that that's okay and that's good. And every single one of these wisdoms from the good guy who's a good neighbor who goes to church to the most extreme example of of genders and bathrooms and everything in between, there's a kind of wisdom that justifies and excuses and makes right this kind of living. Life with no reference to God. And James is going to tell us about that wisdom. It's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. Let's look at it. He's going to go through in this section, he's going to say the marks of false wisdom, the source of false wisdom, and the results of false wisdom. We're going to get that as we go into. So first, mark of this is bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. And so that's two different words. Bitterness is in there. So a heart that has been hurt, a heart that holds grudges, a heart that's angry, a heart that's disillusioned, a heart that's cynical, a heart that is operating from a place of bitterness. And if your heart is operating from a place of bitterness, it's going to show up somehow in your life. And when it shows up somehow in your life, it's going to show that that wisdom doesn't connect itself to God. And so if you're operating from a place of hurt or a place of anger or a place of bitterness, You're not operating from a place in the spirit and in wisdom. Bitterness and jealousy, right, same, are tied together. And so jealousy is a selfish orientation that wants what someone else has. So a selfish orientation that wants the stuff, the relationships, the reputation, or whatever of someone else. And so do I have a selfish orientation? Do I have a selfish orientation That's not going to be the wisdom of God. Do I have a bitter core behind that orientation? And it almost always attaches itself to this thing called rivalry. Rivalry wants to excel, but it doesn't want to excel by itself. It wants to excel over you. And so I want to be greater than you. I want to be better than you. As opposed to, I just want to be great, and I want to do well, and I want to do a good job, and I want to work under the Lord, I want to play under the Lord, I want to do whatever I do under the Lord. No, I want to be better than you. And that's what matters. And so there's this, there's this selfish core, this rivalry that drives them. And then selfish ambition. 
relentless self-promotion by any means necessary. Getting your way no matter what it costs. Getting your way no matter what it takes. And so if that is the core of who you are, but, but I mean, it sounds like such big sins, like that's bad stuff, right? No, that's you and that's me. When we slip into this place where I operate out of selfishness, now, no, it may not look as big ticket as, as a celebrity or a lost person, but you know if in your heart you're holding some grudges. You know that. Well, that's going to show up in your life, and it's earthly wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. You know if there's a little bit of, of, of jealousy or, or, or faction, but it's so easy to justify, right? I work harder than those people anyways. I'm smarter. I'm more faithful. I'm better at my job. There's a reason I should have what they have. And if you have that, just kind of lingering in your heart a little bit. I want their relationships. I want their stuff. It's earthly. Or if I want my agenda, if I know the best way anyways, I know what's right. I would have made a better decision than them. I'm better at this than them. And and there's this this internal self-promotion. It's going to show up in your lives. And so I don't want you to think big ticket, oh yeah, I know people like that. I want you to think me. Where does selfishness show up in me? Where does bitterness and hurt and anger show up in me? Where does self-promotion show up in me? Where does my way or no way show up in me? And if that's the case, James says, don't boast. It's false to the truth. When I operate from selfishness, no matter how spiritual it looks, when I operate out of a place of bitterness and hurt, no matter how it looks, When I operate from these places, I am lying about being wise. I am lying about being understanding. I'm lying about being mature if I'm going to boast in my wisdom while my heart is filled with this other stuff. It is so easy to be fake spiritual. It is so easy to fake it as a Christian. It's so easy to fake being spiritual. And James is like, don't fake it. Don't claim wisdom while living this way. And then he gives the source of that wisdom. It's earthly. That means it's earthbound. As, as an opposition from above, which is heavenly, which is where all the good and perfect gifts of God come from. And so there's the realm of God, heavenly above, and then there's earthly. No reference to God. The world. Unspiritual is the word soulish. It would probably most resemble Paul's use of the word flesh uh, because it means like soulish, human without God attached and so it is to be purely limited to human understanding and human feeling and so it's a human limited wisdom and we can make it make sense can't we and then it's demonic you see anytime people live disconnected from God they extend the influence of Satan anytime people live disconnected from God they extend the influence of Satan And so the kind of wisdom that flows out of a heart of selfishness and self-promotion and jealousy and rivalry and bitterness and anger, the kind of wisdom that flows from that is earthbound, not heavenly. The kind of wisdom that flows from that is the flesh, not the spirit. The kind of wisdom that flows from that is satanic, not divine, not God in origin. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil have a wisdom. So there's a wisdom, it's just not the wisdom we think it is when we claim to be wise this way. Do I need to clap? Am I still there? There we go. Um, What's the result? What's the result? How how does it show up? Shows up with disorder, 
which is one of the primary things that it says God is not uh, a God of confusion, which is disorder, uh, but of order. Right? And so in the church, when he's talking about the church in 1 Corinthians, he talks about not being disordered, not being chaotic, not being confused, not being destabilized, but being stable and orderly and, and, and right. right. And so it's not disorder. Right? But this kind of wisdom creates disorder, meaning it creates disunity. So does the wisdom and perspective you have on life put relationships together or put relationships apart? Does the wisdom that you have as part of your life bring people together, whether it's you and others or others and others? Does it, does it bring peace with others or does it faction you out? If it factions you out, it's demonic. If it factions you out, it's from the flesh. If it factions you out, it's, it's, it's the world. So just think about this in our politics. The goal of our politicians is to chop us up into little bitty groups and then get enough of these groups on their side so that they get elected and get power. Does that sound demonic or does that sound divine? Right? Because God is not a God who blows people apart. God is a God who brings people together. And the wisdom of God is a, is a wisdom of unity. And you think about the world that has said, you are evil or you are good based on your politics, or you're evil or you're good based on the causes you're a part of. And God says, no, you're evil, but I'll make you good by the death of my son. No matter what your politics are, and no matter what your causes are. There's a wisdom that creates unity and order and stability, and there's a wisdom that blows stuff up. But then look at the last one, every vile practice. Have you noticed our uncanny ability to justify any sin imaginable? Not just justify it, like we started out with. You're the bad guy if you don't think the bathroom should be open to people who think they feel a certain way that day. You're the bad guy. Not, not this is crazy, what are you talking about? You're the bad guy if you view sexuality a, a certain way. You're the bad guy if you view life a certain way. You're the bad guy if you believe this archaic book called the Bible. We can justify any sin imaginable. Think about your own life because that's out there. What about in here? Think about the sins you've committed and how you justified them before they happened. And you were able to make it okay. And then afterwards you found ways to make it okay because there's a wisdom that ultimately is selfish and when it's selfish it makes anything okay it justifies any vile practice you want to get you know that romans 1 which i believe we're living in in living color the the the, the shocking thing to paul is not they commit these sins and deserve death for them the end of the chapter one you know what the shocking thing to paul is you give approval to these people instead of condemn them and there's a wisdom that says everything's okay and then there's a wisdom that's pure and peaceable that we're going to get to in a second. The wisdom that ju can justify anything is a wisdom that is of the world, that is of your flesh, and that is of the devil. And it has no reference to God. Don't you dare think that's wisdom. Don't you dare think that's maturity. You haven't grown to the point to make sin acceptable. There is no sanctification point where sin is okay. And then... So it's, it's demonic, it's sourcing that, and it results in disunity, breaking things apart, and it results in sin. And so as we look at ourselves, what is the fruit of our lives? What is the fruit in our relationships? Where do we see this kind of wisdom pulling things apart? 
Where do we see this kind of wisdom where we've made our sin acceptable to us because it's not the bad stuff that people out there are doing? And I would just encourage you to see that and turn from that to find the wisdom of God in its place, which is the last step. Heavenly wisdom is pure, and it results in righteousness and peace. Heavenly wisdom is pure, and it results in righteousness and peace. Uh, Amy and I went and got an oil change a couple of years back, and we had been to the place a few times. Guy was super nice, you know, country kind of nice, great guy. So we went, and about a half mile down the road, we were in two cars. Amy calls me, and she's like, ah, it's making a bad noise, and things are wobbling. Something's wrong. I was like, okay, well, turn around. I'll meet you. The guy forgot to put, like, half the lug nuts back on, the, the things that hold the tire to the, to the car. And so, yeah, it was wobbling. So what mounts the tire to the car when it's missing, everything goes wobbly. What's mounting your life? Are you mounting your life? And if, if you're the mount of your life, then there's screws missing and you're wobbly. But if Jesus is the center, if Jesus is what mounts you, if Jesus is what holds you in place, then the road may get really bumpy and rocky, but your life doesn't wobble in the process. When Jesus is the center of your life, then all of the spokes that come out that hold the wheel on, they, they work the way they're supposed to. So when Jesus is at the center of your life, then Jesus' perspective on your money and how you give, how you save, how you spend, what you do with debt becomes your perspective. Jesus' perspective on your relationships, the boundaries you put in place, the purity that you're pursuing. Are they Christians, by the way? I just want to make sure you're awake for that one. Is the person you're dating a Christian? And if you don't know that, don't go on the date. Or don't go on the next date. Right? So, so when Jesus is what mounts your life, then that's the question. No other question matters till that's answered. When Jesus mounts your life, then it, it informs everything about your marriage. It's a permanent covenant. I'm pursuing intimacy. I'm not walking away. I'm not pulling back. I'm not uh, detracting. I'm all in. If Jesus has mounted your life, if Jesus has mounted your life, it looks at the way you work. Everything is governed by, by Jesus' view of things. If he's what's mounting you, if he's the center, and the wisdom of heaven has Jesus at the center, Jesus stabilizes and mounts you. And so let's look. The wisdom from above, the wisdom that is in God's realm, the wisdom that is heavenly in its, in its nature God becomes the key factor, and it produces a fruit. And if you read these fruits, it's a whole lot like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. A lot of overlap. Because the Spirit and wisdom go together. And the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of wisdom go together. And so it's first pure. It's innocent, and it's blameless. So does my wisdom increase my pursuit of godliness? Does my wisdom create more purity in my life? Does my wisdom create a greater innocence before God? That's heavenly kind of wisdom. But I think these first two, and by the way, I think pure, a lot of commentators say, well, that's kind of the overarching category, and the rest break down purity. But I think there's some important guardrails for us in these first two. Because we err on the side of purity or we err on the side of, of peacefulness. And so there's people who are all in purity. I've got pure doctrine. I've got convictions on every topic under the sun. And, and I've, I, I am right about everything. And it is impossible. It, you don't fit in with me if you don't have perfectly aligned theology. 
on everything, not just the main things. You don't fit in with me if your convictions don't match my convictions. And so I use my convictions and my theology to distance me from other people. So we err on the side of purity. But the other side we err, and I think this is a more common problem for us, is we err on the side of peace. Everything is love. Everything is peace. If I have to compromise for peace, I compromise for peace. If I have to jettison a core issue of theology, I just go ahead and throw that one out. Peace at all costs, no matter the compromise. And I think there's this wisdom from above that has both. It's first pure. We don't compromise the main stuff. But it so deeply loves peace that if there is any area where I can choose peace instead of division, I'm choosing peace. If there's anything that doesn't involve uh, a compromise of what matters, I am going to do what it takes to extend peace and connect to people as opposed to push people away by the views that I hold. It's first pure, but then it loves peace. It's peace loving. Are you a peace loving person? Do you love peace in your marriage? Because there's people, and it may be some of us, that just can't operate unless there's drama and, and problems around them. Have you noticed that? And if the drama settles down, you know what they do? They poke things to get the drama back up because they can't live when things are settled. The wisdom from above is a peace-loving wisdom. Do I love peace with the people I'm related to? Do I love peace with the people I go to church with? Do I love peace um, in, in my relationships that I'm a part of. It's pure, it's peaceful, it's gentle and open to reason. The word for gentle means it's, it's willing to yield. It is unwilling to exert its own rights. And so the, the way I would look at gentle is I hold the rights that I have as a Christian and the freedom that I have as a Christian, I hold those rights that I can claim very loosely. And if, if those things, those freedoms cause problems and cause issues, and if those things become a problem, I will let them go without blinking. I don't assert my rights. I'm gentle. And then the, the open to reason has the idea of uh, willing to defer Meaning, I am not going to fight you on stuff that doesn't matter. How many problems in your relationships today would go away if you quit fighting about stuff that just didn't matter? You do the dishes. And they're not quite full, so somebody else comes and does the dishes behind you, and you know what they do, right? Because you didn't put them in the right way. They have to completely resort the dishes and put them the right way. What if you didn't fight about that stuff? What if you just didn't care? How much peace could be part of our relationships if we were willing to defer on the stuff that doesn't matter? And so what it's, the way I would look at it, there are essentials. We don't debate. We don't discuss. I'm not open to uh, voting on it. There is no way we're giving up on the essentials. But the further things get away from essential, the more willing I am to defer the more willing I am to say whatever, the more willing I am to yield to you your ideas and your opinions. And so there are essential things, and as you drift from essential, the less we should care enough to fight about them. Unless you just like to fight, and that's not the wisdom from heaven. The wisdom from heaven loves to be at peace. And it, and it does something. It produces full of mercy. A love that actually does something. Mercy is a love that goes to work. 
Mercy is love with work gloves on, generally especially when there's an area of need. And so mercy is love that puts on work gloves and does something versus just says something. And then good fruit. Every vile practice is the result of demonic wisdom. Every good fruit is the result of heavenly wisdom. And then the last two, impartial and sincere. Impartial can mean simply straightforward and simple. Or it can mean undivided loyalty. So undivided loyalty to God. The wisdom from God makes you a straightforward but gracious person. If you have to talk like a politician, that's not straightforward. If you're able to just talk in a way that is direct but humble and gracious, that's the wisdom of God. And so am I able to say things in a way that's loving, in a way that's kind, but in a way that's clearly understood? That's God's wisdom. And then sincere. Sincere is the opposite of fake. Sincere is the opposite of playing a part with each other. It is so easy to be a spiritual fake in church. But the wisdom of God opens you up to other people. The wisdom of God makes you transparent in front of other people. The wisdom of God makes you who you are in front of other people. And so that you're a straightforward person who's transparent with others. That comes from the wisdom of God. And what's the result? What's the result? When you sow peace, you reap righteousness. When you pursue with your words and pursue with your works and pursue with your service, peace with other people, as much as you're able, uh, Romans says, live at peace with all men. When you do your part to put peace into the ground of your relationships, righteousness is what comes out. And so does our wisdom produce every vile practice or does our wisdom produce this abundant harvest of righteousness? That's ultimately how we know. I'm wise. I'm mature. I have understanding. A few practical things as we, as we wrap up here. First, uh, what does consistent faithfulness look like for you? What does consistent faithfulness look like for you? Your job's different than my job. Uh, the, the challenges you face at your home are different than my home. The challenges you face at your workplace are different, different from mine. And so what does consistent faithfulness in the mundane stuff look like for you? What does it look like in the words you speak or don't speak? What does it look like in the way you talk about people? What does it look like in the way you deal with problems? What does it look like in the way you follow Jesus? What does it look like in your private devotional life? For you, where you live, work, and play, what does consistent faithfulness look like for you? It's a question I want you to answer. Second, what is the current fruit of your life saying? Wisdom is known by its fruit. What does the current fruit of your life look like? What is it currently saying? Is there more division or more unity? Is there more selfishness? Maybe it's masked by spirituality, but it's selfishness, and you know it because the Spirit's in you, and he, he won't let you get away with it, right? You can get away with it with others, but he won't let you get away with it with you. And so does it look like selfishness, or does it look like self-sacrifice? What does the current fruit of your, your life look like? Uh, with your words, what is it, does it create division? Does it create hurt? Does it create unsettledness? Does it, does it justify sin? Or does the current fruit of your life look like 
you know, I'm increasingly moving towards unity. I'm increasingly moving towards purity. I'm increasingly, because Chris is a very black and white person, I'm increasingly becoming someone who is willing to yield to other people and willing to let other people have their way and willing to do things other people's way. Am I increasingly doing that, not in the stuff that matters, but in the stuff that just doesn't matter? What's the fruit of your life saying is the source of your wisdom? And then the last one, what do you want to see change in your relational and spiritual life? What do you want to see change in your relational and spiritual life? Maybe there's distance that you want to close the gap. Maybe there's some sin struggles in your life and you want to see faith take, take its place, root it out. What is it for you? What do you want to see changed? There's a process of confession, repentance, faith, community, searching, fasting, praying that is part of God's process of giving hope that genuine change is possible. Do you have hope that genuine change is possible? Do you care enough to do something about it, not just feel bad about it? Do you care enough to do something about it, not just feel bad about it? Right? And so what do you want to see change? And do you want it to see change enough that you actually make changes versus feel bad about not changing? There's two kinds of wisdom. There's an earthbound with no reference to God, and there's a heavenly that's sourced in God. And there's two whole different fruits that come from it. What's the fruit of our life saying? Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we bow. And we want and need your wisdom, Father. We want and need your life in us. We want and need, Father, the Spirit to fill us that we might speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We might have a melody in our heart towards you. That we might be living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to you, which is a reasonable, worshipful service. That we might know by testing what is the good and right and perfect will that is your will. Oh, Father, would you convict us? Father, would you show us our selfishness? Father, would you show us the evidences of grace that are a part of our lives? Father, would you show us wisdom and the path that leads to life? Would you push us towards each other with sincerity and simplicity? Would you set us free from hiding? Would you set us free from the masks we wear? Would you set us free from the isolation that justifies everything? And would you push us to community? Would you push us to Christ? Would you push us to the word that is better than gold and sweeter than honey? Would you do this and so much more? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.